Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. I'm Cody Fields, the president of the Noseminster family of guitar effects. You can check us out at westminstereffects.com. Give us your money. We will send you guitar pedals. Uh, John, once again, is stuck with work nonsense. So I'm so... Yeah, right? So I'm solely joined by... Bradley Cox, lead pastor of Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. Our uh, our prodigal co-host will return one day. He's still producing this though. Like he still mixes everything and edits and and if he sneaks in a sound effect that he didn't tell me about or whatever, uh, that's still all him. So, well, John, if you listen to this. I greatly miss having you here. Um, I love talking with Cody, but you add you add a third element that is missed. Aww. Uh, so, what'd you do in church this week, Bradley? You know, I did you, absolutely you had, nothing because I wasn't here. You had Ebola or something, right? Or yeah, man, <laughs> um, and and you know, we're gonna get into some of this today when when it comes to um, you know ministry leadership, plurality of leaders, and, and different. I'm sure we'll get to that in sure. today's topic. But thank God, I'm not by myself in leading. Yeah, this exactly. Yeah, because. My wife uh, came down with the flu on Thursday, um, which, as you can imagine, when you have small children and, um, you know, just home responsibilities, it just throws everything off. And um, interestingly enough, last Thursday, we recorded the episode on... On sermon prep. Sermon prep. And And then that all went out the window. It it did, because literally, (laughs) I finished telling you what I was about to do that day. Right. My wife calls from the doctor and says, I've got the flu. And I knew that then I was going to have to go pick up kids from school, blah, blah, blah. And uh, Keith, Pastor Keith, came in my office and said, hey, you want me to take it? Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Yes. Yeah. I do. And it allowed me to go home and take care of my wife and uh, my kids. And so that was a blessing. But I wasn't at church. But I have listened to about half of his sermon, and I think he did a fantastic yeah, job. Yeah, yeah. Really, really good. Um, we, we introduced a new song. Uh, Psalm 34, Taste and See. Go? It went really well. I th- the congregation, uh, with it being a, a much more bluesy feel, <laughs> I think kind of got thrown off at first. Uh, but in in regards to it being a brand new song that, I mean, it's not on the radio. It's, it's not one of your big three worship bands or anything. Um, I think the response was pretty good for probably 99% of the people in there having never heard it before. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, But yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those where I mean, I'll go on the record and say, I want to play more Shane and Shane stuff. <laughs> but two, I love that album. Yeah, but two, I want to play more psalms. I mean, we're told right, to sing psalms exactly. and hymns and spiritual songs. You know, most, uh, most churches these days are pretty good at the hymns and spiritual songs. We forget about the Psalms and there's a whole lot of them <laughs> where the lyrics are already written for us for the most part. Well, you know, it, it, this might be a, a topic for another episode, but, um, you know, we all, we tend to, there's several criteria by which we judge songs. And one of yeah. those is whether or not it's congregation friendly. Right. But the longer I do this, the more I realize that, you know, Songs that are congregation friendly—that's really determined by what we're used to as much as anything. That's else. that's very true. It, now there are some things that I think are are you know just universal in in helping a song be congregation friendly. Right. But for the most part, you know, rhythm, cadence, song structure, mm-hmm. lyrical—it's typically going to be a little simpler in terms of of vocal structure. You're not going to exactly. have a whole lot of bends and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that you can't get in the weeds or super theologically rich. Um, I was listening to, oh, who was it? Atlas. Um, I, I don't think I've talked about them, but they were they were a post-hardcore band that disbanded three, four years ago. But they did a hymns album mm. where nothing was super heavy, but they just said, hey, let's do an album of hymns uh, where they still have their own style they're not screaming or playing breakdowns or anything, but the way that they arranged it was just like some of this might be able to connect with with a church, like mm-hmm. congregationally. Like they did a fantastic "It Is Well" rendition, uh, where some of the "It Is Well" with my soul renditions kind of end up being a little hokey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but where when this thing hits, uh, the uh, "My Sin Not in Part but the Whole." Is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. That verse hits, <laughs> and you just and it just kind of 
knocks you back a little bit. Wow. And and then uh, after like the first half of the song is pure piano, which I think is a good way to do it as well. Yeah. And and then even the um, the that last verse of the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend, like that one's pretty bumping too. <laughs> have you ever have you ever read or heard anybody teach on what makes songs work in a worship setting? What what are the what are the the, the elements or the characteristics of songs? I'm sure I have, but nothing's um, coming to mind right now. I'm trying to think if I've ever heard anybody talk about that because it's it's so interesting and we didn't plan to discuss this, right. but you know, you can have a song that was written yesterday mm-hmm. that just connects in such a rich way yep. with the church. And then you can sing an old dusty hymn yep. that has the same effect. Same exact effect. And what what are the certainly the lyrics have a lot to do with that, but it's it's not just modern language, right? Because old language or old styles of mm-hmm. communication work in old hymns. Well, I, I think that's that's where you have to get into. I mean, even anthropology, where the regenerated soul is going to connect with certain themes. So that book, In the Year of Our Lord by Sinclair Ferguson, where every chapter goes through a, a century of church of church history. So the second chapter is the 100s. Okay. Um, and it starts every chapter and it's it's less of a church history book and hey what can we learn from these guys and how does that how can we apply that today so the first chapter uh has an excerpt starts with an excerpt from somebody in that century mm-hmm. and then it always ends with a hymn written in that century hmm. and so you can trace from the first century until now like it's the same message <laughs> they're saying the exact same stuff well and, and that makes perfect sense to me and I agree with you I guess what I'm the question I'm asking is more specific to what what are the are there common musical elements yeah that are shared between timeless songs songs that are 20 30 years old and then songs that are written you know in the, the, you know, the last month or two, right? The common musical elements that help a congregation engage. Like it would be an interesting study, and I'm not going to do yeah. it because I don't right. have time. <laughs> right. <laughs> it'd be an interesting study to line up, you know, songs that we know. Look, these are the ones mm-hmm. that have just connected in such an undeniable way. Any in almost any church setting, you could sing them. Right. Songs like. An old hymn like "Great Is Thy Faithfulness," mm-hmm. how great they are, yep. or a song like um, I remember the song "Shout to the Lord" that Hillsong came. It was really the first yep. one that Hillsong came out with that just blew up. That blew up. Yeah. Everybody was singing. Mm-hmm. Everybody. My, my my church, my old Church of Christ, that sang a cappella, sang that. <laughs> exactly. Everybody. <laughs> like, sang. Yeah. And yeah. then you think about one of the more recent tunes um, that's come out of even the Big Three. Like resurrecting by elevation, or who you say I am, or, mm-hmm. uh, or even what a beautiful name. What a beautiful, regardless name. of what people think about it, like it's connected. It has connected, and what are the musical elements that help it do that? Because you mm-hmm. mentioned when I asked you how the song went over, you talked about it's a little more bluesy. So what I hear in that is that there's a there's a difference in rhythm that mm-hmm. made it feel a little bit. I don't know, awkward or not? Not it didn't connect as well as some of the other songs. It's it's just that they weren't used to it. It's They're it's it's almost it. like uh, when when my band, which is a, I mean, our style is circa 2009 to 2012 post hardcore. We've got a lot of clean vocals. We got some really mean parts and some really pretty parts. You know, like our <laughs> we we got a YouTube comment one time on a when we just uploaded the song uh, with no video or anything um, like our original singer was so high that we got a comment one time was like yeah I really liked the music until the girl started singing uh, so so you know I, I'm in that kind of band and then we're playing with deathcore bands sometimes where it's nothing but chugs and, and dissonant squeals and incessant breakdowns not that there's anything wrong with breakdowns mm-hmm. but it's it's purely heavy for the sake of heavy so then if we're on a bill with those guys the crowd is 
you know they either love it or they hate it there's really no in between you know we either get we either get people going nuts or we have people looking at us like why are you up here right now right 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 yeah so anybody that's out there listening to this that wants to chime in we'd be interesting to hear your thoughts about again we understand the theological lyrical thematic you know elements that you know the regenerate soul is going to connect with those themes but from a pure music standpoint what are people's thoughts about what makes what what musical kinds of musical elements help a song best connect with a congregation in a you know in a gathering for worship that that would be an interesting you know, if people want to chime in their thoughts on that. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to do an entire episode on that. I think that would that would but probably be, be a lot of fun. To hear people's thoughts about that, and then do an episode and share. Yes, yes, there we go. Here. So we'll we'll start a poll or a discussion in the group, and maybe even on the Westminster Effects Facebook page. So be on the lookout for that. Um, that was actually a, a pretty cool discussion that we had no intention of having. <laughs> I mean, our, our main subject today is, is much heavier, uh, where we've had uh, a couple scandals break recently in, in the church world with uh, Harvest, is it Harvest Chapel, Harvest Bible Chapel? Mm-hmm. I, I know they've had a name change. So uh, with the firing of James McDonald, we've had the reports of sexual abuse within the Southern Baptist Convention and uh, within the last several years, you know, we've had things like the Mark Driscoll and Perry Noble scandals, yep. um, which I think I think that's an appropriate term for those with how it all went down. Sure. Um, so it's just like, what's up with all this? And what it boils down to is ultimately abusive leadership practices. Um, so I guess. I guess it would help with maybe a, a working definition of what abusive leadership would be. Would you want to take a stab at that, maybe? Well, the first thing that comes to mind when, when you say that is I, I think of the words of Jesus when he talked about, um, he said, you know how the Gentiles lord it over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that comes on the heels of Jesus finding his disciples in a discussion about who's the greatest, you know, who's, mm-hmm. who's going to sit on your right and left, Jesus, who's going to be... The, the people with the recognition when you come into your kingdom. And he's like, look, that's what ungodly people think about, is, is essentially what he's saying there, is that ungodly people think of leadership as lording over. Right. Think of leadership as power. In the kingdom, leadership is serving. Right. That's fundamentally where it launches from, and that's completely upside down from, you know, the secular connotations that go along with being in a position of power and influence. Right. So the abuse of leadership in the church, I think, has to begin with um, a perversion of of understanding of what leadership is in the kingdom of God, because it's fundamentally serving, not lording over. Right. And I... I think maybe what might even be helpful here is to take uh, the Corey Truax approach um, where small minds talk about people, medium minds talk about events, and then large minds talk about uh, the ideas behind it. So shout out to Corey. He was on an episode uh, a few months ago talking about how Christians should relate to the political realm. Uh, So go back and listen to that one and you can check out his own podcast. Just search Corey Truax wherever you're listening. Um, So we can we can start small, maybe with, you know, James McDonald. I mean, he effectively lorded over people, filed a lawsuit against Christians, other Christians, uh, basically trying to expose what he did. Um, And then what it seems that what broke the camel's back was he was caught on a recording uh, suggesting, hey, maybe we plant. um, We'll just keep it PG rated and say incriminating things on a computer at 
someone at a publication. (laughs) Um, And then with the Southern Baptist Convention, you have uh, basically a lack, you could say a lack of transparency and a lack of going to the authorities regarding uh, sexual abuse within certain churches, um, by no means all of them at all. Um, And then I guess to expand it to the other two names with uh, Driscoll and Noble, uh, Perry Noble was known was fired for what they said was an overreliance on alcohol, if I remember correctly. Uh, I think lording over his wife or something of the sort, mm-hmm. and then the same lording over leadership stuff, mm-hmm. and then Driscoll. I mean, everybody remembers his uh, his quote about you either get on the bus or you get thrown under the bus, and mm-hmm. you know by the time we're done, there's going to be a pile of bodies behind the bus. <laughs> so that that probably tells you everything you need to know. And uh, what's interesting in in a couple of these situations is two of those guys have restored themselves, I, I, I'd think inappropriately, uh, restored themselves to ministry, started new churches. Um, so what what does that tell us about maybe what their mindsets have been uh, is, I don't know, maybe it's narcissism, maybe it's... It could be. Maybe it's um, an over-reliance on what they've been gifted with because there's, there's no... Doubting that Perry Noble and Mark Driscoll, um, they're gifted communicators. Sure. Um, as same with James McDonald, even though that's super fresh and he hasn't he hasn't gone on to do anything else yet. Um, and then obviously we would assume that these Southern Baptist pastors had some kind of gifting, uh, and then and then fell into sin or outright rebelled, however you want to say that. Um, so how do like where do we go from there? <laughs> Where, where it seems like the guy at the top is, uh, whether, whether you want to say ruining lives or, or think too highly of themselves, and then that leads to blowing up a church. Yeah, <clears throat> I want to say this very candidly. Um, it would be very difficult for me to imagine myself doing anything else other than than being a pastor, mm-hmm. an elder, and a communicator right. in a local church. Yeah. Like the, that's all I've ever known. And if if I were to abuse the power and influence that goes along with that and then be removed from that position of leadership. That would turn you upside down. It would turn me upside down. Yeah. It, would be, it would be hard for me to fathom what the rest of my life might look like. Right. So I have a little bit of empathy for people like Mark Driscoll, sure. Perry Noble. Um, you know, my hope is that even if they have restored themselves in an unbiblical um, way that doesn't mm-hmm. really line up with um, either the qualifications for an elder teacher in the church or just for ministry in general, even if they have done that, my hope and my prayer for them is that in the experience that they've had and that they are having even now, I mean, my sense is that mm-hmm. Mark Driscoll's church is much smaller than uh, what it was. As know, far what, as I can tell, what yeah. Mars Hill was. Yeah, yeah. His influence and notoriety has shrunk considerably. Yeah, and it's only really kind of in one certain circle as, as it stands right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the same would probably be true of Perry Noble, at least at this point. Yeah. Um, I think he just moved into a building a few weeks ago. Uh, but my hope would be that the Lord is doing a humbling work in them. Right. Um, that, and, and if you know, I believe that saved people, God is working by his spirit and through the prayers of the church. I've mm-hmm. just been living in Philippians today where Paul says, you know, um, talks about his, his confidence that he will be delivered is how the ESV translates it, but it's actually saved. The word, the Greek yeah. word points to eternal salvation. He will be saved and delivered, and he anchors that confidence to the prayers of the saints yep. and the help of the Spirit of Jesus. So by the Spirit and through the prayers of the saints, we're all being sanctified. Right. We are all being pruned and shaped after... Um, the image of God and in and, and, and in holiness, and so I I I trust that that's what's happening in Mark Driscoll and in Perry Noble and in 
SBC pastors, James McDonald, uh, if those people are truly regenerate, the work that God began, he will complete one way or the other. Right. And and I think it should be said, like, we're not angry at James no, McDonald. Not at we're all. not. I, I, it's, it's sad. It's yeah, it, it, defi- it definitely stung me a little more when Driscoll burned his church down because Driscoll and Piper jointly are the guys that I discovered that kind of got me into deeper theology. Yep. And particularly with Driscoll with his, uh, I mean... He was just a dude, <laughs> and he would he would call guys out, which I appreciated. Uh, reference the "How dare you?" Yeah, <laughs> that's that's so famous or infamous, however you want to put it. Um, maybe maybe we can think of uh, or maybe list some different ways that this pops up. It definitely doesn't just pop up in mega churches, as we see in the SBC. No. Um, it, you know, with the with the multi-campus model, for better or for worse, uh, a lot of times I think it's this, hey, we, we want to go to church and solely to listen to this guy. And that's not everybody by any means, you know, for New Spring or Mars Hill or whatever. Um, and New Spring even took steps to make sure that didn't happen <laughs> in the first place right. uh, once Noble was ousted. Uh, so you, you have that maybe in, in the SBC, it's it's more along the lines of uh, non super opaque deacon boards. And maybe in like the charismatic and Pentecostal realms, you hear more of touch not God's anointed um, where sure. where it's, you know, it's it can go in any denomination, any any theology branch. It's it, nobody's immune to this. So, how do we avoid? Um, how do we avoid simply throwing people under the bus or steamrolling people or saying, "Hey, if if you're not on board with exactly how I like to do things, then just go ahead and find somewhere else." You know, um, I know we talk a lot about John Piper. In these episodes, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, this is the uh, the John Piper commentary hour. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, w- I would go ahead and say that I don't agree with John Piper on everything. Right? Not everything right. he says. You know, sometimes I'll get on Facebook, and you know, you see one little video snippet of his pop up. You click on it, and then all of a sudden, you can scroll through. Mm-hmm. You know, a half a dozen or more of his clips and. You know, I'm, I might occasionally find one that I go, I don't know, Johnny Pipes. I, you <laughs> might have taken that a little too far. Right. But there are things that he has done, and there are principles that he has implemented, and the way that he's led that I think should translate into every local church context, um, regardless of size or notoriety, influence, whatever. Sure. Johnny, John Piper is a excellent communicator we would we would put him in the category of an extremely gifted talented uh pastor leader teacher yeah. right and yeah. so with that's going to come a lot of notoriety i mean mm-hmm. it's one invitation to passion you know in like 2000 or whatever that was to yeah. 2001 and he gives this incredible sermon that most people really only know the introduction of right uh but it just blows up right and, and his influence with it um but I just recently read about um, two things that happened in his tenure at Bethlehem. One was, I think it was in 2010, he took a, was it an eight-month sabbatical? Yep. Because, yep. according to him, what he identified were several species of pride in his soul. Several species of pride that he felt like were affecting his marriage, affecting his ministry, mm-hmm. affecting all the different spheres of his life. And so he asked of the elders at Bethlehem uh, a eighth month or so sabbatical to just unplug from everything, including his public speaking outside of Bethlehem yeah. and writing in order to just let the Lord deal with that and him to focus on his marriage and his home, mm-hmm. which... Let's think about the risk of that, that right. the potential risk of that, right? He's got a massive church, and he could step out for eight months. Are they even going to want or need me back after that? I mean, think about mm-hmm. the questions he must have asked mm-hmm. himself. I mean, like so one of these other talented communicators at Bethlehem could step in, yep, and then all of a sudden, or the elders could, you know, 
smell the power that I've left, you know, kind of in a vacuum and suddenly and you, I'm, I'm ousted from my church. You could even think of since that was 2010, that's still the social media age and exactly. he's dealing with pride. Well, what about my personal brand? Am I going to be asked to speak anymore? Exactly. You know, if I'm just absent for almost a year, does, we, does anybody we, care after that? And I think he wrote a blog about this that's on Desiring God. And, and from, from what I understand, he turned down almost every, I think there were one or two that he kept um, but he turned down who knows how many opportunities mm-hmm. to travel and speak and just unplug for eight months. The other thing that I've recently read about that he did, which is fascinating, it's actually in this book that I mentioned that a previous episode, Healthy Plurality uh, Equals a du- Durable Church by Dave Harvey. Uh, he, the, in the book, it talks about the, I can't remember what year it was, but the elders at Bethlehem got together and wrestled uh, through Scripture to determine their stance on divorce. Mm-hmm. And the, the conclusion of the eldership at Bethlehem differed from John Piper's personal opinion. And John Piper's the lead, right, and, but right. the majority he didn't agree with. And so what they did at Bethlehem was they, John Piper got up and championed the conclusion that the, the group, the body of elders at Bethlehem had come to with regard to divorce, but John Piper was allowed to dissent in writing mm-hmm. and, and express his personal views as the, I don't know, lead elder. Yeah. It, I, I mean, you, you, could al- you could almost title. think of it as a, as a Supreme Court dissenting opinion. Exactly. Yeah. But yet at the same time, what John Piper did publicly was defer and consent to the mm-hmm. majority of the eldership at Bethlehem, even though he personally differed. And he supported, even though he was given the opportunity to dissent. Now, you take those two things right there, just a, 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 a very conscious war that John Piper personally waged against his own pride. Yep. And then at the same time, a humility that where he was willing to submit to the the majority of the elders at Bethlehem with regard to this issue. And what do we see in a lot of cases where especially notable church leaders and pastors fall or abuse their power is that there's there's no real sense of accountability or plurality in their leadership models. They are the, you know, they're the super talented uh, leaders of these ministries and organizations that, you know, get to the point where it all revolves around them. Uh, and there is, I, and I've personally witnessed it in some cases where there's just a, um, the sin of pride creeps in and begins to take over and really clouds that leader's judgment in everything. And I think we could all easily fall to that, but it's here again that I'm going to advocate for a plurality of leadership. Uh, I think that is that has got to be the most effective guardrail mm-hmm. against these kind of abuses. You know, when, when you were talking about Piper deferring, it's almost kind of, it's, it's really kind of a dying to self. Exactly. Um, you know, Love in leadership says that I will die for you as opposed to an abusive leadership says you're going to die for me. And it reminded me I had to look up the quote really quick on my phone because there was just no way um, that I could quote it just off the top of my head. But thinking of the uh, the martyrdom of Polycarp to get nerdy um, where I mean, he was an old man and they were encouraging him like, look, just recant like it's fine. And he, his response was, 86 years I've served Christ, and he's never done me any harm. How then could I bless, blaspheme my king who saved me? And then, he, and then he prays, I bless you for deigning me worthy of this day and this hour, that I, may dr- that I may be among your martyrs and drink the cup of my Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. How different is that than, yeah, we'll just throw you under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 really night and day in in mentality and we're again we're not saying that the aforementioned guys who threw people under the bus and suggested planning things on computers that would get people arrested um, we're not suggesting that they're not Christians at all uh, no. what, what we're doing is trying to learn from a negative example and then implement a better 
better policy in our own lives, in our own churches, um, where, I mean, I honestly think the goal here, whether it's somebody gets fired and disciplined by the church or to make it explicitly applicable to a worship team, I got to think that God's character in this is character and goal is reconciliation between parties. Certainly. Um, I mean, you even look at the law. If somebody stole something, they had to pay it back and then some. Mm -hmm. And the the goal wasn't just like, hey, we're just going to bring a hammer and and pound you back into the ground. (laughs) It's it's let's make this right. So so. Maybe let's say uh, a worship leader to make it applicable for guitars and stuff. <laughs> uh, let's say a worship leader comes down overly hard and has a habit of doing so. Like they 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 overcorrect, or they have you could say too high of a, an, unre- an unrealistically high standard. Let's say that, or something of the sort. Um, maybe how would a lowly bassist? or a drummer or a keys guy or a guitarist or whoever, how would they maybe approach that? Uh, first off with the worship leader, and then maybe if they have to escalate it uh, to a higher-up pastor, maybe how do they do that? With, with the goal being grace and reconciliation, not just my feelings were hurt and I want you to feel bad about that. Well, it's funny you bring this up because I, that was me. Oh, yeah? I mean, especially the first church I worked at in North Carolina is I was, you know, I was very insecure, you know, because of my youth and inexperience and my own perceived lack of ability to do what I'd been asked to do, which was lead this worship team choir. Right. And I was I was hard on people. I was trying to prove myself. Yeah. And what's at the root of that? It's pride. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's it's me. It's a self centered self centeredness or a narcissism that was driving the way I abused the position of authority I'd been handed. Um, and so I, what happened to me was I had um, it might have even been my bassist was at least one of them and one or two people from the choir that I was leading that did come to me and, and say, you know what, we're not having any fun. Mm. You know, the, Which, if you're playing music mm-hmm. and there's no fun involved, then yeah. <laughs> you just ruined it. <laughs> and I mean, this was 20 years ago, so I don't remember their exact words, but I distinctly remember that the, they came to me um, in frustration but yet I feel like they came to me in love. Right. Like there, there was a, a coupled with their criticism was an appreciation for the direction that I was taking things. They knew that we were moving in a good direction as a worship team. Mm-hmm. And they were appreciative of that. The problem was, is they, they did not like the oppressive environment yeah. that I had created by overcorrecting demanding perfection because I didn't want to look bad. And what I realized was that that was all about me. Mm-hmm. I wasn't caring for the people that I was leading. And they um, probably in somewhat of an uh, imperfect way, because I think there was a lot of frustration and, you know, but yet I felt like they avoided too much accusation by appreciating my leadership, but also criticizing it. And right. That was eye-opening for me. And that kind of laid a foundation for, you know, that they're just not, they're not just coming with a flamethrower. Exactly. And I think, you know, for a person (laughs) who's a part of a worship team and not the leader of it, I think you know pretty quickly, it it doesn't take very much self-evaluation to go, "Am, am I in unity with the leadership of this church in general? Am I, am I on board with where this worship team is going in general, and and if the answer to that question is yes, like am I if I'm in unity here, then that that means I I really do consider myself a part of the team, but I may have some struggles with my leader or leaders, mm-hmm. and I think at that point, you 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 resolve the question of whether or not I'm in unity and I want to be here, right. And you do that through prayer, and then you go to that leader in love and appreciation with with expressing your sense of commitment is that, look, I'm not here to just mm-hmm. throw stones at you. This matters to me. 
Right. You know, I'm 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 here because I want to be, and I'm not going anywhere. But this is this feels wrong to me. What what I'm experiencing here doesn't feel right. Can you help me? And I think if the worship leader doesn't respond to that kind of humility, then I think yeah, that's that's a situation that you might consider bringing before the elders of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, just being honest and humble in the same in the same way. Right. And. You know, even getting back to the reconciliation, like explicitly reconciling, uh, I'm reminded of Jesus saying, if if you bring your offering before the altar mm-hmm. and your brother has sinned against you, and basically that's on your mind, like, mm-hmm. go take care of that first. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, like, this could even be a, a, in the 10 minutes you have before a service, like, if, if something's eating at you, like, go, go at least clear the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh Within reason, of course, like you can't take 20 minutes if it's 10 minutes before. But if it's if it's, hey, man, you got a little sharp with me there uh, when we were working on that bridge or whatever, like I I don't see any problem with that. Well, and isn't this another pitfall that we're identifying is that when the the performance or the product that we're trying to deliver. Yeah. Takes precedent over the relationships. Mm hmm. That, that that in and of itself is a warning sign. That's a that's a that's a red flag that we ought to pay attention to um, when it comes to potentially abusing power. Mm-hmm. If I'm more focused as a leader, now now I'm flipping the script and we're, I'm talking about it from a leader's perspective. Yep. If I as a leader, I'm more focused on what it is that I feel like we have to deliver than I am on the people that I'm called to disciple. That's a problem, right? Because at that point you are running the risk of abusing people in order to get some end result. Ends and means and all that kind of stuff. And I think the Bible's clear that the, the kingdom grows through relationship. I mean, it expands through relationship. It's, it's God has chosen that the means by which his kingdom grows is that Bradley connects with Cody and Cody with Aaron and Aaron with John Ross in Nebraska. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's through those connections that we make with each other as we celebrate the gospel and we celebrate Christ together that the kingdom grows and expands and when we we get our eyes off Jesus and the people that Jesus has called us to do life with mm-hmm. and we get focused on the product and the delivery and the performance and the how many books get sold and how many views we get on Vimeo or how many social media likes and shares we get we get focused on those things First, I think we're at least on the edge of the cliff of power abuse. Right. So how, how does this look uh, from a leader's perspective of staying humble? Like, I, you know, even in our interactions, um, I've brought questions to you yep, uh, several times regarding, I mean, even, hey, what's the direction that we're going with the church? I got the theological question whatever. And then there have been times where you've said, Hey, you're wrong. (laughs) Uh, there've been times where you've said, Hey, be careful with this. Mm -hmm. Um, but I came away from all of those interactions, whether it was a question or, and I think how I phrased a couple of those questions was probably helpful (laughs) where it was like, Hey, I want to be on board, but I need to understand. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so if you have a question for somebody, be nice about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then in the correctional stuff, um, I didn't feel like I got hit in the face with a sledgehammer. <laughs> right. So how does, how does a leader in a church setting, whether pastoral or worship leading, um, how do you, what's the mindset that you need to take behind that kind of thing, whether it's correctional or fielding questions or even just setting an overall direction? Well, I, I can tell you what I've tried to do here at Res, and Lord knows I don't think that I've arrived on anything, but um, I've tried to foster a culture here where everybody understands that regardless of my individual giftedness, you know, my, the the way God has gifted me Mm -hmm. puts me in a specific role in the church. Right. And and that role with that role tends to come leadership and influence, but that doesn't change the fact that I am just like everyone else in this fellowship. I am a person who desperately depends on grace. Mm -hmm. Um, 
to be the man that God's called me to be. Right. And I think if we, one of the things that I think the church really needs to grow in is the understanding of spiritual gifts and spiritual giftedness. And I'm not talking about my Pentecostal roots when it comes to this. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the recognition. The Bible's clear. Is that the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. Right. Right? So what, what does that say? That says that, that even the people in the positions of influence, according to the gospel, according to the New Testament, are meant to have a full awareness that I need the people I lead yep. as much as they need me. Yep. That there's not a, oh, you know, I've read some things where Driscoll had gotten to the point where he said, look, I don't remember the exact quote, but it was, it was something to the effect of, I'm the brand, this all revolves around me, mm-hmm. and in his abuse of power with his with his staff, is that this is all about me. Right, and I go down which, which was ironically true. In, in, it, in some sense. In that, some sense, yeah. That, that, that points to uh, an unhealthy um, church at oh, that yeah. point, for, for sure, if that's the case. But, you know, and when you've got super talented leaders... Uh, super talented communicators, we have a tendency, and I think it's a carnal thing, to put those people on pedestals and elevate them to um, standards and expectations that nobody can live up to. Yep. But you, if you create a culture where the leader himself knows, I need the other parts of the body as much as the other parts of the body need me, and there's mm-hmm. a humility that goes along with that, and you got to fight for that. you got to contend for that through mm-hmm. prayer, through time in Scripture, and through accountability in the church. And I've talked about this before. I am for a plurality of elders. Yep. And in this in this book... Um, it's like it's biblical or something. It's like it's biblical or something. <laughs> in this book, Healthy Plurality Equals a Durable Church, he addresses um, where there is a super gifted leader. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, and how that super gifted leader is, is called biblically to recognize that I need these people in my life. You know, even though they can't stand in the pulpit and capture people's attention the way I can, I still need these people's voice and influence in my life to guard me against pride, to guard me against abuse of power. Um, I think we've just got to, we've got to revisit the fact that the body is multifaceted. And there are people that are called to encourage. There are people that are called to operate in the gift of faith. There are people that are called to operate in the gift of hospitality, administration. Yeah. And the people that are called and gifted to teach are not in some category over here by themselves. And and that's that's even helpful from a band standpoint of, yes, worship leader, you do need that guy on the slides who has a habit of zoning out, not paying attention. And then he switches the slide two lines too late (laughs) or electric guy. Yeah. You do need the sound guy who on the rotation, uh, tends to have your guitar mixed too low for your taste, Mm -hmm. which I'm, you know, I I play almost every week, so I wouldn't know in the first place (laughs) or, or yes, you do need a bassist (laughs) just in general, uh, just because bassists are really easy to make fun of. Um, but yeah, that's, that's so important of you, you need that guy on your team who even struggles to remember what a G chord is. (laughs) That's that's super helpful. So uh, I, let's just go from that into uh, recommended reading, listening, or what have you. Well, I, I, again, I would recommend. I know I mentioned it a couple of episodes ago, but healthy plurality equals a durable church. Um, I would highly recommend leaders, even leaders of worship teams. Um, within a local church, regardless of your local church polity or, uh, you know, governance, is read this book and, you know, build your leadership team around these principles in this book to guard against these mm-hmm. abuses of power. And, and we've even talked about the council, which exactly. is which is the group of four of us at, at Res who uh, plan everything, even though we have Aaron running point, uh, the four of us balance each other out because we all have our imbalances and our own gifts uh, where we can 
make up for each other and then at the same time like be like all right let's calm down on this particular thing or that particular thing and emphasize this thing as well well and i think it's been so beautiful to watch you guys work together oh i mean I, 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 i'll be honest when 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 we you might be a little biased with I, your wife being on the team out, though, when so. i stepped out of it, right, right. when i stepped out of it and i said all right you four just take it uh, and lead it, and and then and I submitted myself to you guys. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, if I if there's something I feel strongly about, you know, f- from my pastoral position, I'll say that to you guys. Yeah. But I show up. Which I, even happened the last time we got together, where where you were like, "Hey, I don't like this particular line in this particular song." Like, exactly. But for the most part, when you guys ask me to play or lead, I show up and yeah. I submit to what you've planned, and I yeah. I follow. Uh, when when Aaron is who's a member of the council, when he's leading a rehearsal, I follow his lead. Yeah, even if he's not. And and it. he is and he is. That's one of his gifts. Is he is really good at setting a direction. Let's do this. If we need to change a part, let's do this thing. Yep. Um, like that's that's one of his the things that he's good at. Which is my other recommended reading is um, and there's so many books out there and obviously the, the number one thing I would recommend reading is the scripture when it comes to spiritual gifts. Uh, but here's a helpful guide: is the Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts by Sam Storms. I, I hope I haven't recommended that in previous episodes, but regardless, I'm going to recommend it again because I just think this is one of the most neglected things in the church: is the emphasis on gifted ministry, spiritually gifted ministry, and and the church not just looking for uh, specific talents or abilities or trying to just fit people into certain roles and functions that we think, you know, like we've got to have somebody serve coffee. So let's go find somebody that's really nice and has a good smile and put them in the coffee ministry. Well, maybe, maybe not. I think what the church ought to be looking at is who, who, who is the Lord entrusted to us? Who's among us? Who's a part of our fellowship? And, and how has God gifted those people in unique ways and let's utilize those gifts and go do ministry, you know? Right. And, 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 and learning what it means to recognize spiritual giftedness in yourself and in others and in the context of community, I think it's one of the protective mechanisms that God sovereignly built into his church to protect us from the abuses of power. And if we would just lean into that and tap into that and not, you know, just model these hierarchical hierarchical, you know, you know, celebrity pastors, you know, super talented sort of leadership models. Yeah. Just, you know, not look to that to be our God, but look to the scripture. Um, I think the Holy Spirit will really help us with this. So Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts by Sam Storm. Very good. Uh, so my recommended, <laughs> uh, because it's relevant, and I think I think there's a lot of things that we can learn even just from the approaches and and the tone set in this video is I'm gonna, going to insert into the description a link to YouTube of when the Gospel Coalition did their Elephant Room series. Mm-hmm. And this was a discussion between Mark Driscoll, James McDonald, and Mark Dever uh, regarding the multi-campus model. Um, obviously, Driscoll and McDonald were very big into the into the multi-campus model, and Mark Dever is very much against that. He's even against... Uh, Dever is actually even against having multiple services that would basically replicate the same thing in a church where he's like, well, functionally, you really have two different churches if you have two different morning services. That's really true. Um, which, yeah, I mean, there's there's absolutely a difference between an a.m., uh, well, like a 9.30 and then an 11 o'clock. Like, even the crowds, like how they react to things, it's entirely different. It's true. And, uh, but it was, it's a... It's about 15 years old by now, maybe something like that. Um, but it was it was done a while ago, and it's it's interesting to see how things have played out with the almost corporate top down approach that Driscoll and McDonald took, and where that ended up. And, and that's on YouTube. And that's on YouTube, yeah. And uh, and what Dever has done, which is he's committed to small growth, very much into a plurality of elders. 
Um, he's not the main. He's not the brand. <laughs> uh, as as much as uh, I appreciate Nine Marks and and what all they do. So uh, I, I guess that's my plug for both the video and Nine Marks. Go read some Nine Marks stuff. They put out really good resources. And uh, Dever and Jonathan Lehman have a, a pretty cool podcast called Pastors Talk. Mm. And. Uh, you know, anytime you can get Dever on to talk about much anything, he'll, I mean, it's, it's funny because, um, like he can hit you with a sledgehammer and make you feel good about it. <laughs> Where also shout out to Dwayne at the bar podcast when Dwayne had Dever on and they were talking about, uh, how Dwayne had an agnostic coworker and Dever just stopped in the middle of it. He's like, let me tell you, Dwayne, you better care more about your agnostic friend at work coming to know Jesus than you care about this podcast. And he just stopped him in, in the middle of recording and prayed for the guy. Wow. <laughs> it's wow. just like, he, he'll just lay it out. And, and Dwayne was just like, man, I felt like he took me behind the woodshed mm-hmm. <laughs> at that moment. Um, so, yeah, so another podcast plug, go listen to All Seven Days, which is hosted by my dad. I'm a little bit biased, so there are two episodes in, already really good results, and I kind of recorded their intro and outro music, so I'm also a little biased about that. So if you enjoyed this episode, share it on Facebook, leave us some comments, leave us some five-star reviews. It's been a while since we've had a review on iTunes, so help us out there and share the crap out of this, and make sure you join the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook, uh, and also follow us on Instagram. Uh, The outro today, not a song per se, but it's me, uh, and I'm a miserable demo player, believe me, uh, demoing the new nose pedal Easy Preezy, which made its debut at NAMM. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Cody from Nose Pedal. We're having a look at the Easy Preezy, our new always-on buffer, boost, fattener. Gives you about four decibels of boost. You see it has no switch, not even an LED. It's because it's meant to you know, maybe go in your effects loop if you lose a little something uh, in that or at the beginning or end or really wherever you want in the chain, wherever you want it to uh, give that little bit of a bump. Maybe you need an overdrive that needs a little more push. Maybe you want to push your amp closer to the edge of breakup. So uh, to illustrate for AB purposes, we've got it in the one channel micro loop switcher here on the right side. And then we'll also do some some tones with the nose pedal modded SD1 running through my Westminster Effects Geneva Amp Sim, which is my other brand. We'll put a link in the description for that. So here's the clean tone. And here's the easy preezy. And the SD1. So you see it really just kind of gives you that little bit of an extra bump. It even helps on lead lines. And obviously I am a miserable demo player. But there you go. There's the easy preezy.